and welcome to the Potshot Podcast, an Arsenal podcast for nerds. I'm Alex Towles. And I'm Alex Collings. <laughs> and this is going to be the single most rushed episode of Potshot that we've ever done. There are lots of reasons for this. Yeah, we've done almost no prep work, and Alex's power is about to shut off in like half an hour or so it's scheduled to go. So <laughs> this is going to be a bit of a mess, but too much has happened this week for us to not do a podcast with the transfer deadline and the City game just happened and the Everton game coming up. So we felt like we had to do something and this is what you're getting. So if it's rubbish, we apologize profusely and come back next week for something that's actually good. But <laughs> in the meantime, we're going to do a podcast and hopefully it'll be all right. So we'll start <laughs> off with the City game. Uh, and we'll make an excellent start, uh, and it's always good when I start with this. I haven't watched the City game. <laughs> Sometimes I get to watch the games like a little bit, but Friday evening I'm completely like out all the time, so I have not seen a single minute of this game other than watching the three-minute YouTube highlights. I love how you're using this as a as a confessional now. <laughs> you're like, this is going to be the shittest part ever. Let me just admit all of the things, um, but you know, I have watched the game at least. I have not rewatched the game because life has been busy. Um, but I guess what you were going to ask me was impressions. Yes, please tell me how the game went. <laughs> I was quite encouraged, to be honest. Um, there was more rotation than I thought there was, um, than there would be. Whereas, interestingly, City actually played quite a full strength side. I guess what you can say about City, though, is that they have so many players that you consider in their full strength side that you don't really know when they're actually rotating. I think it was probably more of a case of that. But anyways, um, I thought it went better than expected. I thought it was quite an equal game. There wasn't too much happening in either box. Um, it was a game that was quite contained on either side. Uh, I'm not even sure I'd need to rewatch to be sure who was the better side, but I think that shows you enough that it was, it wasn't, there wasn't a clear, like, winner in terms of, the the game itself, even though the scoreline, obviously, City won 1-0. Um, I think key things to point out, Trossa did pretty well. You can I can see that him him mixing with Tierney as that left-sided option is going to be something that we're going to use a lot in the Europa League. Um, Saka probably had met the first player that ever locked him up in, well, or has in the last year and a half in Nathan Ake. Um... Eddie had another very good game, I think, in terms of his hold-up play, which just seems to get better and better every week. Um, Haaland didn't score against us, which was a nice point, I think. We we did manage to handle him. We clearly had a plan to handle him. The goal also did come from Haaland's movement. Um, even though he had nothing to do with touching the ball in that play, he basically pulled our defenders away just enough to open up as Grealish passes back into... Um, where Grealish passed back into Ake, who had kind of an open line to shoot. So that's something that's going to be interesting when we come back and play them again, is how we're going to handle Haaland, but also not meaning that we have to assign so many players to Haaland that we open up these other areas where they can score from, right? I think one thing maybe that you can say is that if we had Partey rather than Sambi playing at that point, Partey came off for Sambi in that game, then maybe we would have had someone react quicker to to Ake's shots. Um, I think that's probably something that's true. But we'll see. I still think there's something in that. Um, as for, for Sambi himself, I think this was the best game we've seen from him 
on the ball in a while. It was more reminiscent of how he started the season, where he's really been struggling to impose himself in recent games, as we've spoken about ad nauseum on this pod. Um, but now he's gone, so I guess that's something that we're not really going to see, and there's not too much value in speaking. Well, I don't know, we might tune into Crystal Palace for a laugh of an early end. <laughs> Probably will be. I'm actually excited to see how he does at Crystal Palace, I think. But we'll get on to that later. Okay, okay. The last thing, um, I, I don't know, general impressions that I feel good about playing City at home when they come to our okay. place. And that nervousness of like maybe that they'd come in and they'd just wipe us away and then all of this had been in our head. It, we did, I didn't get that impression at all. We matched up to them very well with a quite a rotated side. So the biggest question I have after hearing all that is about Ake locking up Saka, as you put it. Obviously, that's a pretty big problem. We we use Saka quite a bit. Um, is this something which we can overcome? Are we going to be able to change the way that we use Saka or adapt the team in order to make sure that Ake can't just lock him down? Or is this something that's just going to happen against City? And I suppose on a different, separate point is, are other teams that don't have Nathan Ake at left back going to be able to replicate it? See, so I think it was part just a good performance by Ake, knowing when to engage, when not to engage, which is very hard to do against Saka. I also think part of it was tactical. They obviously did their homework on how to handle Saka. And maybe Saka also maybe had a little bit of an off game. These are things that maybe I'd want to rewatch and to really have like a firmer opinion on. But I wouldn't be too worried. One thing that I found interesting, though, is that he was getting a little bit more space in certain areas where Fabio Vieira might be more dangerous given the ability, the quality of his final ball. And we did actually see Fabio started the game in the Odegaard role, moved out to kind of be Saka's replacement when Odegaard came on for Saka. We, we saw him coming out there. What I thought was really good from Fabio, sometimes he can be a bit sloppy with his normal passing. I thought he controlled the game really well with his passing. Didn't offer the threat that sometimes that you know you didn't offer the threat that you've come to really want from him. Obviously against a very good City team, but I'd be interested to see. I don't think we'll see it from the start whenever we play City because Saka is, you know, at min a top three player for us. Probably more of a top two player at the moment, right? Um, but I'd be interested to see if Fabio kind of comes off the bench to, to change things in in one of the league games if Saka is still being locked up. All right, yeah. Uh, I, I I wasn't expecting put on Fabio Vieira instead to be the answer <laughs> there, I'll be honest, but I like it. I, I like that we've got the option. Um, shall we move on then uh, to some transfers, given the time pressure that we are under? Uh, thank you very much for that City Roundup. I feel like I've watched the game now. <laughs> <laughs> I can go to the pub and tell my mates about how it, Trossard's really good and we managed ha- well, Haaland really well. One last well, one last point on Trossard. I think one, what did show through is that we create a lot of um, our quality chances through being able to create separation. And remember, this is the biggest issue that I kind of had with Trossard, is that he had a lot of control. He did really nice things. In those 1v1 scenarios, he never managed to really come out on top. He managed to keep possession often, but he didn't manage to create that moment of separation that Martinelli often does, right? I think Martinelli also sometimes struggles with that in certain spaces, but in other spaces, he's very good at creating that separation. Trossar really did struggle with that, um, just to create that moment. Having said that, he did have a really nice tight control in the box, got a shot off. So I think that's what we kind of expect from him 
maybe when he gets closer to goal, that tight control will be able to create the space where you just need that high level of technique rather than that explosiveness. But I think in those other situations, I do think that that's something that's going to be exposed with Trossard, but we'll see. So I've already spoken a lot, and I think we're going to, since we're basically free-running this, I think I'm going to try to take over, you know, being host for a bit. And I'm actually going to ask you what you think of our deadline day. What do you think of missing out on Moise Cosedo? And what do you think of getting Jorginho in, our, in his place? Okay, I'm, I'm under pressure to have informed opinions. <laughs> you have 15 yeah. minutes to give an answer. He's taking a sip of water. The pressure is getting to him. What? So you want opinions on Caicedo and Jorginho? I want opinions on what do you think of missing out on Caicedo and what do you think of getting Jorginho in his place, bearing in mind also that they are quite different profiles. Well, let's look at missing out on Caicedo from two ways. Uh, from the actual squad building perspective and from the transfer saga perspective. From the transfer saga perspective, I think it was kind of inevitable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't see any world in which Brighton wants to sell Saicedo in January. I don't see any world in which we meet the price that Brighton wanted to sell in January. Judging by how quickly they turned down our offers of 60, 70 million pounds we'd probably have to get pretty close to Chelsea's Enzo Fernandez valuation of like 120 to even make Brighton think. So I think it wasn't going to happen. Like as, as much as it would have been lovely for it to happen, it wasn't going to happen. Um, in terms of like squad fit, this is something I'm actually... So I, I don't know loads about Caicedo. But, like, my understanding of him is that he's kind of, like, a 6-8. Like, he picks up the ball and then carries it forward and then is actually quite useful in attacking areas, at least more useful in attacking areas than Yves Basuma, who he replaced de facto in the Brighton squad. I don't know if you know any more about that. Do you know more uh, about Caicedo than I do? <laughs> I think I know a little bit more. Um... But you, you pretty much summed him up very well. I think I would agree. He's a bit more of an 8 than a 6 right now. I remember mm. we were speaking with Shu about it, that I was saying that he's someone that you can see molded to that 6 role that Partey is doing. And I think that comes down to him being a very good ball winner in duels. And also, what I like most about him is he can read play really well. But at the moment, he is someone who more plays in that 8 role, has nice qualities on the ball in terms of carrying, in terms of dribbling when he needs to. Bit of an all-rounder in that respect. Um... But yeah, he's someone that if he came in, he would have been a project for Arteta to, to mold to the six, but also someone who I could have seen him use instead of Xhaka at times. Yeah, and I think that's why, to me, it makes a lot of sense that we've been linked with signing another two midfielders this window. Maybe mm. Caicedo, maybe Declan Rice are the two that we've been... It's been rumoured that we want both, uh, and I think that makes a lot of sense because Caicedo is a bit more of an eight, and I think he could do quite well in Xhaka's role. I think he's shown at Brighton that he's got the uh, facilities for that. Uh, and obviously Declan Rice is a six and wouldn't require any major retraining in order to play the role. Obviously there's specific tactical tweaks and that, but like he knows how to play at the base of the midfield, whereas I think Caicedo, as you said, it would be a bit of a longer project. So in terms of like the short term, not the end of the world, It'll be disappointing if Caicedo ends up going somewhere else in the summer because 
he's a really good player and I like him and it would be nice to see him in an Arsenal shirt. <laughs> but I, I I think in terms of this window in isolation, it's not the end of the world that we didn't get him. I think I agree with that. So let's move on to the guy that we did get then. As host, I'm going to ask you, what do you think of getting Jorginho? Ooh, I don't... So, I'm going to say the thing that I tweeted and got like a whole two likes. I'm always in favour of a transfer where the objectively funniest outcome is that he's really good for us. <laughs> like, Chelsea fans hated on him. We all hated on him when he was at Chelsea saying he was bad. So it would be so funny if he comes in and is incredible for us for six months and wins us the league. That is, That would be amazing. Just incredible banter content um which is genuinely my main thought about signing Jorginho um I've seen it, it has been funny watching um people who have slandered him in the past when he was in blue uh change their tunes somewhat on Twitter in the last <laughs> few days that is that has amused me um but I, I I think there's a good player there like he, he is good he's good on the ball uh, and while he's not got the physical attributes of Partey, he does... If there's two things that Jorginho knows how to do, it's pass well and where to stand in rest defence. So that's two pretty big ticks for an Arteta 6 right there. Obviously, as I mentioned, he hasn't got Partey's physicality, so bringing him in there, we will lose something in that respect, but Partey hasn't got Jorginho's passing range, so... Swings and roundabouts. To be fair, I don't think Jorginho's passing range is that good. I think it's a bit overrated. I think he's like a juggernaut of a, a short passing like metronome. I think he's very good at that. I don't think he's the greatest long passer, but I do think, and I've seen that some people have been saying that he's not good positionally. I've always got the sense that not only is he good positionally when we're in possession, knows you know how to build out of phases. I think like a lot of that comes from his ability to sort of um, maneuver himself, his body, open up passing and let's pass you know, to death, that's what he can do. But I also think he is, like, as you were saying, very good at knowing where to stand, where to be positioned um, in situations where we have to defend. I think that's still going to be a big problem when there are, you know, high line transitions. He's not going to be the, he's not going to be the guy to really counter press that well there, even if he knows what to do. Um, But I've always had the impression that he's good positionally in a defensive sense, as well as an offensive. And I think that does show through in his numbers in terms of his, ball winning and his interceptions where where you don't really see he has the physical attributes that explain those numbers right um i'm i'm a lot high the more i think about it the better i feel about the deal to be honest i think a big part of it is i know arteta has been a fan of his for a while now i remember when we were speaking about the like state of our midfield pod we were speak i spoke about how i can see us going for a jorginho-esque sort of player with a bit more mobility um, and I kind of pointed at Romeo Lavia for that, right? And then you just got actual Jorginho. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully Lavia in the summer. But but yeah, so I think maybe there's a sense of like me really drinking the Kool-Aid here, but I do feel good about it from that perspective. I think he's someone key. A key point is I think he's someone we can bring on in big games to take the sting or take the bite out of the game and, you know, control the yeah. game. I think he's always been a metronome that's very good at controlling the pace to a slow, safe level. And that is something that I, I think we've needed at times. Partey definitely doesn't opt- offer that. As good as he is at putting out fires, I don't think I've ever had a late game where he can kind of slow down the ball, 
control possession. You're normally asking Odegaard to do that, normally asking the centre-backs to kind of control, you know, Ben White even, uh, and Zinchenko to control it more. It's really only Odegaard, though. I think bringing in Jorginho, we can really control games in late phases. And I think also just looking at him as someone we're getting for 1.5 years, he's mainly going to be starting in the Europa League games unless an injury happens. Um, yeah, I think also comparing him to the guy that we've replaced, Sambi had that mobility that I think Jorginho might be, you know, teams might exploit if we have Jorginho, but he never had that defensive sense. And I get, the more I've watched, I get that sense that Arteta thinks he can cover up Jorginho's lack of mobility, but needs Jorginho's understanding of positioning of where to be, but he can never really cover up the fact that Sambi's just not switched on defensively, even if he has that ability to get where he needs to be. If you don't mind me flipping and putting my host hat back on again for a second. Ah, okay, it was um, a fun run. <laughs> no, you can, you can, you might be able to have it back in a minute. Uh, <laughs> but I, I've got a question I would like you to answer. Um, we came into this window talking about needing a Xhaka backup and a Partey backup. And what we've done is we've gained a Partey backup, but lost a Xhaka backup in Sambi. Do you think it's an issue that we've had kind of a one-in, one-out in midfield here, or do you think we've got enough depth, depth to see us through to the end of the season? See, so I think I've kind of given myself away in terms of my biases that given where we are with the season, I just want depth over everything. I don't want us to suddenly find ourselves lacking in some area. Um, Sambi has left, and while I don't think he was really proven that great at being that higher positioned eight to back up, to, to be Jacques's understudy, I still think we've lost an important body there. Um, the club respecting his wishes, sending him off to Crystal Palace. Thinking about it, I mean, I guess we're just relying on Jacques not getting injured that easily. Maybe we're going to play Smith Rowe in the eighth position in certain games. I can see that. Um, one sort of like really wild card one that I'm going to use in this part is I saw Salah Eddin came back from a very not prosperous loan at Hull City where he was basically injured for the entire time there they actually had an option to buy him I know that ITK knowledge um so I'm glad that he didn't really get but he's a really good player I don't think he's quite Patino I think Nwaniri's a bigger prospect than him obviously so that he kind of found himself at that third man why we were willing to give him up but I like him a lot as a player I'd love to see him get a Europa League game there here or there um so yeah, maybe there's a that spot That man will him. play four minutes between now and the end of the season. Yeah, you remember when I was speaking about <laughs> Matt Smith. Oh, he's going to get his debut. It didn't happen. So maybe I should just not speak about the youth guys getting minutes. But that's my wild card hope. Otherwise, I do feel a little bit... Um, a little bit uneasy that we've kind of basically lost a midfielder with El Nene being injured until the rest of the season. And Sambi going on loan. We've just brought in Jorginho. Um, so we're actually kind of one down, but yeah, but I guess it's something that the squad, the club feels that they can replace. And what I will say is I'm happy that we have a six backup that we can trust more than I'm worried that we don't have an understudy to Shaka. We can hopefully trust. We haven't seen him do it yet. <laughs> uh, I've drunk the Kool-Aid already. He is going to be the man that leads us to number 14. I'm afraid. Sounds good. <laughs> Earlier on, you wanted to talk about Sambia Palace, and I said later. Now is officially later. <laughs> um, I think it's a good loan for him. I would have kind of wanted France or maybe Italy, 
as a as a place for him to go play. Slightly slower league, a little bit more up the spotlights. But I think Palace makes sense in some sen- in some ways. I think he's a profile of player that they've been missing. A really good like carrier ball progressor, someone who can be who can take the ball from, you know, in their own half into the other half and and play it well there. Uh, I think him having Sheikh Dukure next to him, if he's that pivot he's gonna play along uh I think him having Sheikh Dukure to play in a pivot alongside is gonna be huge for him. Sheikh's really good defensively, knows where to position himself, something Sambi doesn't have. I think that gives him a little bit more security A and having a player who's actually responsible for the stuff that he's bad at, rather than us putting him in the sixth position and saying, be good at suddenly positioning, right? Um, and then the other aspect of it is that he is playing in a pivot now, which is like a deeper lying eight role rather than that higher positioned eight role that we've been having him. So I think that'll all suit him better. The fact that he brings qualities that Crystal Palace are lacking means he probably will get game time as well. So I'm excited to see how he does. I do feel the writing is on the wall a little bit for him at Arsenal regardless. Yeah, I I mean... I actually disagree on the um, league point. I think it's a good thing that he's staying in the Premier League. I think if he's ever going to learn the position, that positional mouse that we need him to have, he's going to have to learn it in the Premier League at the pace that you'll actually need it to use in the Arsenal squad. I think that's a fair so point, yeah. I think, yeah, it's a, a good thing for him to stay in the league, go to Palace where he can actually get some minutes, hopefully like, consistent starting minutes as opposed to partay cover minutes. And hopefully he can shine. But, yeah, I, I think what you said there about it being the writing on the wall is probably true in that if he goes... In a weird way, if it's a if he's a success at Palace, then it shows that the writing is on the wall. Because if he goes into a double pivot, which is not what we're going to play, and is really, really good then it shows that he's always been a good player, but just not one that's suited to the system we're going to play. And so that probably means that he's more likely, like, makes it more evident that we should move him on. I kind of get that logic. I do think if he's shit at Palace, then the writing is more on the wall, because then it's just, okay, (laughs) (laughs) get rid of him. But I think he'll be fine at Palace. Uh, I'm actually interested to see how he'll be. I don't actually have particular thoughts on how he's going to be. I can see him being good. I can see him being 6 out of 10. I can see him struggling. Um, ultimately, I really want. I hope he does well. Power might cut soon. So I'm, I'm ta- I've taken back the host hat, I just realized. It's come very mm-hmm. naturally to me under this pressure. Um, you know, the pod might end soon. So let's speak about Sean Dykes, Everton, and what we think of that. Obviously, this is a side that in the past, past iterations of Arteta's side has actually struggled against, not Everton, but Sean Dyke's side. Burnley, I think we, before we lacked that like incisiveness in the final third particularly, or going into the final third to really cut cut these teams apart in the way that we see City do all the time, that, you know, where people were calling us like a poor imitation of what City, I think probably the best argument for that is we did struggle against the teams that are, just set up on those blocks where City destroyed them often. What do you think? Like, I think I feel pretty confident. I know everyone's speaking like new manager bounce. One of the meanest mid blocks there is um, to offer with Sean Dyke at the helm. But yeah, how do you feel about us going into this game against Everton? 
Uh, putting the us part of the question to a side for a minute here, I think Sean Dyche's Everton is going to be the most interested I've been in a non-Arsenal side, uh, like, tactically, since, like... Man United first brought in Ten Hag, and I want. I, I want to. I want to just went. say to the audience that this is this is also a man who keeps speaking about wanting to do a Brighton pod if we were Brighton fans. <laughs> so this is an interest. This is a, this is a lot of you know a lot of weight in this in this take for like, him. I really like Sean Dyche, and I'm really really interested to see how this goes. Um, on the other hand, uh, this is and, and this is not like a. This is not an informed take. This is such a biased take, but I think Everton do deserve to go down for the, <laughs> the dross that they've served up the league for the last few years. So this is a very personally conflicting appointment for me because I want Sean Dyche to do well <laughs> while also wanting Everton to go down. So we'll see. This really is your um, confessional. <laughs> yeah, You're just like I fucking hate Everton. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I I never used to hate Everton, but then they were bad. And they were, like, bad consistently while spending lots of money and being badly run. So they do deserve to go down, unfortunately. Um, but, yeah, like, I... In terms of this weekend, I'm genuinely more interested to see how Everton play than I do, like, have any thoughts on if we're going to be good against them or not. Like, uh, well... We are going to be good against them. We've been good against everyone this year. I'd be very surprised if we turned up and were shite. But <laughs> like, I'm, I'll be watching this game with almost more interest in what Everton do than what Arsenal do. I think I agree with you. To be honest, I think I agree. I'm also very interested. I like Dijk a lot. I've always wanted to see what he can do when he has a lot of money backing him. I mean, I found the Gallagher interest quite in, like mm. telling. You know, like this is someone who was really like you know, counting his pennies at, at Burnley and now it's suddenly like a or up to a forty million offer for, for Gallagher that Chelsea mm. didn't end up accepting. I mean, don't get me wrong, man. Um did the power just cut? Oh. Listeners, what's just happened is Alex Collins' power has cut. Uh so that's the end of the podcast. <laughs> Uh, thank you very much for listening uh, thanks to Alex for being here even though he's not here anymore he's dropped off the zoom call uh, if you want to find us on twitter you can find the show at potshotpod me at Alex Towles and Collings at AlexFRCO our music is made by the wonderful JW Blake he is on Spotify under that name and all other good music platforms and we will be back next week to discuss the remainder of our thoughts about Sean Dyche's Everton and whatever's next. I have no idea what matches next week, which is a very apt way to end this very unprepared podcast. Either way, we'll see you there.